Ghanan Family Office Services. We protect and preserve the wealth of the world's rich and famous. But having a good lawyer is only part of the solution. My podcast, How to Keep Your Money, draws on my 30 years experience and my extensive network of professional advisors to better inform you. Subscribe to our podcast and learn from the professionals on how to keep your money. This is episode 16 of How to Keep Your Money. I'm Caroline Garnham of Garnham Family Office Services, specialist lawyer to the ultra-high net worth community. I'm joined remotely by Adrian Waterman, QC of Matrix. Chambers and Partners has a quote about him, which says, he's probably the cleverest barrister I have ever met. He's super bright. Adrian's practice is broad and includes homicide and sexual offences, but I want to talk to him specifically about crimes to which the ultra-high net worth families can get caught up. I've highlighted a number of cases in the public domain to give familiar examples, as well as cases direct from my own experience for um, Adrian to comment on. Welcome, Adrian, to How to Keep Your Money. Uh, you say you meandered into becoming a criminal barrister. I can't think that anyone as clever as you are would meander into anything. Maybe you can give me a bit of background on that. Well, hello, Caroline. It's nice to be with you. Um, <laughs> when people worry about their children and what their children are going to do, uh, and that includes me, for what it's worth, with my children, uh, I sometimes say to them, children find their way, people find their way. And that was pretty much what happened with me. Um, I studied law because I didn't know what else to do. Uh, I qualified as a barrister because it seemed like a sensible thing to do and I didn't know what else to do. Uh, along the way, I spent some time wanting to be a singer-songwriter. I spent some time working in the church. Uh, and then I bumped into someone one day, just short of my 30th birthday, whom I'd met when I was training. Uh, he then later became a silk, but he urged me to go back to the bar and to join his chambers. And uh, I did. I basically took the path of least resistance. And the head of those chambers said to me, Adrian, you've uh, messed around. He didn't use the word messed. You can use your imagination uh, for about 10 years. So if you come, you need to commit for a minimum of five years. And that seemed reasonable. So I did. And I have no memory of that five years passing. Almost straight away, I loved it, and I loved being good at it. After about 12 years, I became a QC, and I've not really looked back. Um, I've uh, uh, discovered something that fits me. So to, to reflect that um, mantra back on myself, I think people do find their way, and I sort of meandered into being a barrister, and hopefully I'm reasonably good at it. Well, in, in, in hindsight, I also started my, my uh, uh, career as a singer. I wanted to be an opera singer, and I meandered into the law as well, so we won't go into me at that time, but interesting. <laughs> um, I want to uh, 
draw a reference from uh, Tom Bauer's book, uh, Rebel Prince. It yeah. was about Charles. Um, and he was said to have asked his personal lawyer, who was a specialist in divorce and not crime, uh, to make some salacious rape tapes go away. The prince's lawyer, uh, who did not consult a criminal QC, offered the author of the tape a generous redundancy package to achieve the prince's wishes. This particular lawyer was lucky, no prosecution was made. However, this is not an isolated case and I've seen similar situations arise where professional advisors maybe have got a little bit too close to their client and they have done what the client wants with worrying consequences. Do you have a similar experience? Uh, I do, I think, and I, I, I agree with you. It's not an isolated case. Um, I think people in uh, all types of professional life, and yours and my world, in particular the law, operate with um, lines, and those lines are at the edge of what's permitted and not permitted. And advisors sometimes. Uh, live close to those lines. Indeed, I suppose there's an argument that you wouldn't be a very good advisor if you didn't know where the lines were and make the best use of the available space on the right side of the line, if you see what I mean. But obviously it's essential not to cross that line. Uh, uh, and advisors of one sort or another, um, in trying to do the best for their clients, and trying to do what their clients want them to do, that is, want them to achieve, uh, sometimes get dangerously close or cross that line. And bribery is an obvious example, especially for high net worth people. If there's a problem, um, it's tempting to try and make it go away by paying, usually accompanied by a non-disclosure clause in the agreement. Uh, the problem is bribery is a very wide offence, a very, very wide offence, and it's not an easy offence to identify where the lines are. So um, the example you've given is uh, a, a good example, I think, of a general principle in, in this area, and that is get lawyers involved early. Uh, that sounds a bit self-serving, and I suppose in some ways it is, but it happens to be right. Prevention is much, much better, and frankly, almost always cheaper than attempting cure. I think uh, it's also true to say that it should be the right lawyer, because we all we all have areas of expertise which are really quite restricted. And I think in this case, they should have got a criminal QC involved. I absolutely agree, and um, I advise m major media organisations about such issues precisely for that reason, because it's much better to head things off at the pass. Um, and uh, in, in all sorts of commercial contexts, my experience is particularly criminal QCs are being uh, brought in at an early stage so as to head off at the past the sorts of issues that arise and as you and I know Caroline the big advantage of, of 
discussing these things with your lawyers in advance is you're protected by legal professional privilege or almost certainly protected by it which means you the client are in control of the information and so if you are revealing things that have put you at or over the edge you've got the you've got the protection that uh, only you can choose to reveal that your lawyer can't reveal that um, unless you give her or him permission to do so so uh, i think getting specialists involved earlier is very important and increasingly people are recognizing that getting uh, a specialist financial crime barrister or maybe experienced solicitor involved is the sensible thing to do i agree uh, another case which again is not uncommon and i'm describing by means of a, a familiar case which has been in the in the public domain yeah is the case of, of Lillian Betancourt. Uh, she owned 27.5% of the L'Oreal cosmetic fortune. And she befriended the society photographer, Francois-Marie Vanier, to whom she made substantial gifts. Her disinherited bitter daughter fought back by disclosing evidence to the police of her mother's tax evasion. From your experience, are families more prone to acts of revenge when aggrieved than in commercial situations? And what do they do about it? I would say probably yes. Um, I've thought about this because I've been involved in cases where this is obtained. And I think um, family members are off or, or very close friends, I suppose, would fall into the same category, are often... Um, privy to information than those who are less close to us are and the obvious reason is we believe we can trust them more than other people their interests are usually we would perceive it aligned with our own however um, when occasionally there is a serious breakdown of that family relationship and the shared interest that goes with it um, family members can turn on each other and they're in a in those circumstances, good position to abuse the confidential information that they have as a result of their uh, family links. And if they themselves are unscrupulous or, as you say, embittered, um, they can misuse that information by including lying. And uh, we can adopt a well-known um, bard's words law hath no fury like a relative scorned um, and i have acted for persons in such situations as i've said um uh, and increasingly my experience is that the embittered embittered party uh is uh thinking about and often pursuing a private prosecution and that's something that um i suspect some of your clients and some of the people who will listen to this podcast may have heard of but won't be as familiar with as as I am um, uh, the state agencies are often reluctant to get too involved in disputes between family members because they're complicated in a lot of ways you know all the parties have um, a lot of over and undertones to 
the allegations and the refutation of the allegations. And when the state agencies aren't willing to do that, um, persons who have resources are able to um, retain lawyers who can investigate and carry out a private prosecution. And I would say family contexts are one of the main areas where private prosecutions have become um, a growth area. So the answer to your last part of your question, it seems to me, about what you can do about it is uh, probably the same answer as before. So one of the ones I was involved in, literally when the summons landed on the defendant's door, he was a very senior and experienced private client solicitor, the defendant. When it landed on his door, he retained um, a, a criminal fraud solicitor who immediately retained me and we embarked on what was in fact quite an expensive uh, process of trying to stop this prosecution very, very early on. Unfortunately, we succeeded and in due course got wasted costs against the other side. But um, had that gone to court, this particular person's career would have been ruined because in, in private client world, there's no smoke without fire and his reputation would have been sullied completely wrongly. So it's the same thing, get the specialist lawyers in right at the outset. Um, and I think it may be we'll go on to talk about some of the elements of um, regulating your money <laughs> uh, and probably even better than getting a lawyer involved at the beginning of any embittered process is to try and um, stop it ever getting to that stage. But that's a different issue, I suppose. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I would totally agree with. I would like to draw your attention to another situation that I did get very much involved with, um, where a wealthy family, with a wealthy family, on the death of the father-in-law, my client mm -hmm. was accused by his brothers-in-law of theft and the misappropriation of assets to a Caribbean island. Um, the question was whether these assets could be traced and returned, and there was a lot of rumblings about a personal prosecution because they wanted his reputation and his ability to earn any money to be ruined. And I think that has largely been the case. But presumably you have similar stories. Uh, to yeah, tell. yeah, yeah. A a asset tracing um, and then recovery is, um, lawyers in a lot of disciplines know, is an enormously huge and complex topic. Uh, and um, the hiding of uh, money usually involves the creation of um, multiple layers of um, SPVs, special purpose vehicles, in jurisdictions where few, if any, questions will be asked. And so it can be very, very difficult to trace that money. Um, I think the process involves uh, quite uh, careful analysis right at the outset of what you're trying to achieve. And um, interestingly, you mentioned that, that the person you were referring to uh, wanted to not only recover the money or the value, but to um, prevent 
the person from carrying on um, in a in a way that uh, that would not recognise what they'd done. In other words, to to damage them, but for entirely positive reasons, given what they'd done. And so you have to think through what are you trying to achieve. That's a that's a general principle in any area of law and in particular litigation. Uh, and then once you know what you want to achieve, again, it's becoming a refrain. You have to pick the right specialists, including the right lawyers to do it. And in asset tracing or uh, value tracing, as uh, most people uh, recognize is a better description, um, you've got to identify usually accountants, possibly investigators, uh, uh, probably computer experts these days, given the world we live in, uh, lawyers in your domestic context, and probably overseas lawyers in the jurisdictions to which the money has been um, sent and where it's been hidden. Um, you have to secondly to identify whether it is in fact the value you want. Do you just want an equivalent amount of money back? Or do you actually want the item? You know, if it was a work of art, you don't want the money, you want the work of art. Um, so again, uh, strategic and tactical decisions. Uh, and uh, all of this work involves those experts being able to work together uh, as a team. Uh, and so uh, it seems to me that um, increasingly, all of us who work in this sort of area are building networks of relationships with other experts whom we trust and whom we can refer our clients to when um, expertise beyond our own particular expertise is what's needed. I'm a great believer, as you know, of networks and building networks and certainly networking remotely, which is one of the main reasons for the podcasts but i'd like to just sure. another example um from my own experience i had a client who had a substantial sum of money in trust um he had no concern about the trustees everything was going particularly well the trustees then were taken over by another professional company uh, and the new trustee saw the size of the assets in trust and they filed a suspicious transaction report to the attorney general, uh, then the assets in the trust were frozen. It took years to uncover the source of the funds as to what had happened, and many years of hardship and expense to unfreeze the assets. These claims for this family were totally shocking and unexpected, but I don't believe they are uncommon. Is this your experience as well? It is. Um, this is a big area as well. <clears throat> and it's one which high net worth people, ultra high net worth people need to be very aware of. Um, the chances are that, that, that such persons, advisors are already aware of it because it affects them uh, as well as the client. Um, you probably know that if uh, a banker or an accountant, or even a lawyer uh, has a suspicion, a reasonable suspicion, 
So in other words, a suspicion or should have had a reasonable suspicion uh, that uh, wealth is the product of criminal activity, then they have to blow the whistle. And they do that by serving on the National Crime Agency a suspicious activity report, most typically. That's known in the jargon as a SAR. Uh, and unless your lawyer is covered by legal professional privilege, so back to that important topic, uh, even your lawyer has to notify the authorities of their suspicion. So they don't have to have proof. They just have to notify them of suspicion. So it may be that, uh, I don't know the facts, of course, but it may be that in this, the example you're referring to, uh, the new trustees just saw an awful lot of money, had no understanding of where that money had come from, and became suspicious and acted uh, with... Um, a fun very careful uh, uh, attention to what they're required to do, namely file a uh, SAR. And once a SAR has been served, it's out of your control for this reason. When your lawyer or your accountant or your banker serves a SAR on the NCA, they are prevented by the law from telling you. Indeed, if they do tell you, it's called tipping off, and that's a criminal offence for them. And if the NCA think there is conceivably anything in the SAR, they'll freeze your assets. Uh, and then you've got a, a very big job to try and um, show that actually everything is above board and it was all a storm in a teacup. Recently, you'll have heard of unexplained wealth orders. Uh, that's an even more draconian uh, provision that the National Crime Agency have. Uh, you don't even have to have a suspicion that it's criminal, criminal property. All that has to happen for an unexplained wealth order is that the person uh, who is at the NCA uh, has reasonable grounds to believe that the money you have, the wealth you have, greatly exceeds your ostensible means of income. And then they can go to the court and get an unexplained wealth order. That requires you to explain where all the money's come from. And uh, at the same time, once again, the money will be frozen. I gave a talk on um, UWOs and explained wealth orders in Russia recently. And one of the persons in the audience said, um, how far back do you have to go in trying to show where the money came from? It's a really good question. Nobody knows the answer. Um, uh, but the moral of the story, it seems to me, is um, there is great value where you have a lot of wealth uh, and where in particular these days, you might be associated with a politically exposed person, that being another qualifying ground for an unexplained wealth order of, in advance, creating a portfolio or a, um, an audit or a package 
which you can show to people that, that explains the legitimacy of the wealth. Yes, there are questions about how far back you have to go. And in places like Russia, obviously, those are big questions. Uh, but again, it's uh, same old, same old. Uh, it's a matter of getting the right advisors who can um, address the issues at the earliest stage. And it's always cheaper earlier than later. Thank you. I, I'd agree with that. Last but not least, I want to draw attention to Joe Lowe, a young Malaysian who's been in the press, who managed press, who managed to steal billions of dollars from the Malaysian Sovereign Wealth Fund, one MDB. This was under the noses of leading banks such as Goldman Sachs. What is your advice to anyone, whether politician or professional, who gets sucked into parties, presence? and prestige where you might have a concern as to where the money was coming from that funded this generosity. Uh, mm. Maybe you can give me your experience and advice on this. Mm. Well, it touches, doesn't it, on some of the um, examples you've already given and we've discussed briefly uh, earlier. Um, you know, how, how many people at the banks concerned actually suspected something? Um, if he was in the UK now, might he have been the subject of an unexplained wealth order? Probably not. There are very, very few of them at the moment, but but maybe they will increase. Uh, would the NCA have been able to trace his assets and find out, you know, what was going on? Had anybody filed an SAR uh, with them? So. Um, what do you do when uh, people appear to have wealth disproportionate to what you would expect them to have wealth? That's that's a $64,000 question, I suppose, and depends on the circumstances. Um, I, th I think in his case, it was quite interesting because uh, there aren't that many sovereign wealth funds, but there, there's a number. And like any fund of large amount of money it's only as good as the regulation uh, of the persons behind it and more importantly the degree to which you can trust them so um, uh, you know your firm is uh, all about helping people with very large amounts of wealth keep their money um, some of what we've touched on uh, is about uh, ensuring that others understand that that money wasn't obtained unlawfully, but the other side is trying to protect it from those who would take it from you unlawfully. Um, and, and I think it comes down to trust, doesn't it, at the end of the day? Um, you know, do, do, do you trust the people who, to whom you are entrusting the management of your, of your wealth? Uh, and actually, the whole financial system is probably based on trust. It doesn't feel like it with all the regulation we have, but um, you know, fiduciary relationships have at the at their heart the principle of trust. Um, I mean, I so wrote I think it's about choosing the right people. Sorry, go on. I wrote a book which is when you're super rich, who can you trust? And trust yeah. is the one thing that money can't buy. 
exactly. one of the reasons of the podcasts is to see that birds of a feather flock together um, and yeah. you know good people recognize good people albeit in different disciplines yeah i agree with that and it's back to the network point isn't it yeah um you know we're all building networks not because we want to be chummy chummy who's in the golf club but because um we're all trying to work out who are the best people to trust in this situation um Adrian, thank you for joining me for today for episode 16 of How to Keep Your Money. My pleasure. Criminal stories of greed, conspicuous consumption and deceit always attract interest. But the emotional turmoil and family pain that these real-life stories can cause is often overlooked. I'd like to finish where I started, which is to say any professional which advises the rich and famous, be careful not to get so wrapped up in the glamour that you leave your common sense at the doorstep and make sure you take relevant, specific advice early enough. Thank you very much, Adrian.